Welcome to Talking Tourism, the podcast series created specifically for tourism operators. Talking Tourism, the expert series, is the ultimate resource for business owners who want to lift their skills to the next level. If you want to learn how to be a better tourism operator, listen on. This is Talking Tourism and I'm today's host, Sam Denmead. Every week, the Tourism Industry Council will be bringing you conversations with the brightest minds in the tourism industry. TICT is the peak body for tourism operators in the beautiful state of Tasmania. Each episode of Talking Tourism will deal with a specific tourism-related topic with tips and advice for for improving your tourism business and getting ahead in the visitor economy. You might be listening to this outside of Tasmania. If so, welcome. The content of these podcasts will be relevant for your tourism business wherever you're based. And today, I'm sitting here, sitting opposite a very good friend of mine, David Reed. Welcome, David. Hi, Sam. It's lovely to be talking to you today. And thank you very much for inviting me. And I've realised that it's much easier being on your side <laughs> than this side of the microphone. I am going to talk to you about content you live, sleep, dream, think about day in, day out. So I don't think this is going to be too tricky for you. Let's hope not. We're going to talk about accommodation today because you yourself are heavily involved in your own accommodation business, but you have been heavily involved in tourism and accommodation properties for many years. So can I invite you to tell the listener a little bit about your history, uh, including when I first met you, which was when you were GM at Strawn Village, which is a while ago, but tell us about all the amazing, crazy things you've done in your past. I um, decided that Tourism was going to be a very spectacular industry for David Reed, and I leapt out of a very conservative and well-paid and and consistent job and launched into tourism at the ripe old age of 32 with a reasonable-sized mortgage, a couple of children, three children, lovely wife, all go. And then some of the things I did were spectacular failures, <laughs> and some of them were spectacular successes. So I joined with a couple of partners and we bought the first jet boats that came to Tasmania. We ran them for eight years or so on the River Dirt. Um, I did a lot of things with partners in those days. I wasn't confident enough to do it myself. And um, I started, I suppose, being a, a small entrepreneur, if that's what it's called. Small being five foot eight, but anyway, small <laughs> entrepreneur with not much capital. And, and I've been playing around ever since, really. I've had a very privileged life in tourism because... At the same time as having my own businesses, there have been periods in my life where I've worked for others. And working for others has been um, spectacularly interesting. Uh, I was the general manager of Port Arthur for a couple of years. I really enjoyed that. Um, I first met you, as you said, at Strawn. Um, I was working for Simon in those days. And that was an extraordinary privilege to work in that, that wild west country. And it was a big business. I mean, we had uh, the Gordon River cruise boats. Uh, we had um, a railway to run when Federal bought us. Uh, uh, and we had 140 rooms of accommodation, four or five pubs, you know, restaurants and things. Yeah, fish cafes, a, so ba- now, now a bakery. <laughs> now you've given up all the crazy yeah, large stuff and yeah. you're putting your time and attention into Codrock Point in Bichino. Yes, it's my super scheme. Um, every single dollar I've ever earned out of this business of tourism and my other, you know, whatever else I've done is now invested in Bichino. Yes, so I have to make it work on a daily basis because it's what we live on. So, yes, we've got uh, um, 
a, th- a three-room property on the water at Bishno. It's beautiful. So I think what we've just established is that you are highly qualified to share with the listeners everything that we need to know about boosting your accommodation property, whether it be small, micro, big, medium, whatever. Generally, the same rules apply. Uh, so we want to know a bit more about small businesses, though. So how to make more from your small accommodation property, maybe medium. What do you think? Yeah, I, I, I do this every day. You're right. I think I wake up thinking, how am I going to make money today? And how, how, how's it going to be better than last year? And I keep on looking at my forward bookings, wondering, is June going to be all right? Is July, what's September look like? Yes, I do all of that. Yes. So I think there are two ways of looking at improving your business on a small scale, on a small business. Um, it's, it's pretty simple stuff. You've really got to consider, how do I make more money from the people that are coming now and how do I get more people? So you can divide it into two. And so the people that are coming now, you've got to wonder how do I do this better? So that's a question of costs and a question of other things. But the other thing is if they're coming for two nights, what would be the impact if they stayed for three? And what would I do to try and inveigle them to stay that third night? So what would it be worth to me to have a third night? I mean, would you give it away for nothing? Well, probably not. But if you were to give a, a discount of some description or some kind of offer or a package or whatever it might be to, to change the length of stay from that person from two to three nights, the result on the bottom line is extraordinary, quite extraordinary. You see, there is a utopia in the world of accommodation. Utopia is having 100% occupancy They are all repeat guests, they all stay for seven days and they all change over on Tuesdays so you never pay any penalty rates. Up until that last point, that sounded like a long-term tenant to me. (laughs) A long-term tenant? No, they have to go away every now and again. Otherwise, they're not visitors. (laughs) Otherwise, you're not in the tourism industry. So so, that's utopia. So working back from 100% occupancy, what's a reasonable state? What is the best opportunity that you can get to increase your length of stay? And... How much repeat guests? Repeat guests are so important. We talked about on all of these podcasts that you're doing, I'm listening to a a number of them and I'm beginning to understand the importance of ambassadors and whether that be through social media or through word of mouth or through whatever they are. But we're the same in accommodation. It's just the same. We need people to stay and then go and talk about it and hopefully come back as repeat visitors. So once they come back as repeats, it's fabulous because there's no distribution costs. So mm-hmm. 10 whatever percent you're paying in commissions or whatever you might be paying to through whatever distribution channels disappear. It's wonderful. So that's what I focus on repeats, ambassadors, length of stay and direct bookings. Oh, excellent. Okay. Well, those you've just those, given me some my, topics those, to talk about. Those are my four magic things that I do on a almost excellent. a daily basis, talking to people, making sure that they're happy about um, mentioning us on uh, Instagram, talking about how they're going to, how they can possibly become an ambassador and trying to increase our length of stay. So let's dive into some of those points then, David. Yes. Where would you like to start? Um. Well, we could start with um, – uh, let's start with the length of stay. Okay. Yeah, length of stay is a really important thing to talk yeah. about. Yeah. 
um, some places are luckier than others where, you know, the East Coast might be one of those lucky places where people do tend to stay longer. Um, I, the, the East Coast is interesting, Sam, because the East Coast has uh, enough for people to keep them there a couple of days but that might only be one night, whereas Hobart has enough to keep people for a number of days, and that's probably three or four nights. The other question of the East Coast is, can it be done from Hobart in a day? And that ruins us on it the does. East Coast, obviously. Yeah. So. so, yeah, there are, there are swings and roundabouts in, in that. But any small businessman in accommodation, or business person, sorry, um, needs to be really good at about three things. They need to be excellent at finance, excellent at operations and excellent at marketing. And it's those three things that come together about the length of stay because we need to work on the finance. We need to understand what it costs to change a room. We know what it costs in rates because you can see that easily. You can see what the power bill comes in at. You can, you can understand those things pretty quickly. But I wonder how many people in my position actually work out on a fortnightly, weekly or monthly basis what it costs them to change a room. Because you do get some variables in that. Um, it depends how much linen there is, how many towels are being used. Sometimes if you've got self-contained accommodation, the kitchen's cleaning take a long time if they, if they bother to cook. If they don't bother to cook, you can whiz in and whiz out and it doesn't take very long. So there are a lot of variables going on in here in, in this working out how much it costs to change a room. And it, it's, it's so important to understand exactly what it is so you know what you're pricing. Because if you're changing rooms that frequently, sometimes you might find out after the end of the year you've just worn out the carpet. All you've been doing is having all these people for one night stays and the gross revenue is fantastic. But when you look at the costs, the wages are enormous and you've just worn it all out for nothing. So it's the, the finance bit is not being an expert in being able to um, borrow money. The finance bit is understanding what's happening in your business and watching it every couple of weeks. And it's amazing if you don't watch how often things get a little bit out of kilter and you think, oh, crikey, I should have been looking at that a bit better. So, yeah, I wonder how far I've got now describing to you, Sam. Do you understand yes. how important it is to watch this length of stay? Absolutely. And I guess from an accommodation operator's point of view, if they've done their analysis of their bookings and realise their average length of stay is, say, 1.8 nights, I, I would imagine you would suggest that they should be trying very hard to try to stretch that to two nights or, or something along those lines. Yeah, Um Am I allowed to give some examples? Please. Uh, okay. Naming names? Yeah, mine. Yeah, we'll use yours. That's fine. Okay, because it, this is, these are real figures right now. And um, when we inherited the business at Codrock Point, um, it, was, it, was, uh, it, it did take one night stays and it was called something different to what it is now and it didn't bear much resemblance to what's there now. So let's talk about... Codrock Point and how that's changed it. Codrock Point was a brand that we invented in, and, and plonked it on to the, the, the existing business, um, if that makes any sense. So, so we, we reprofiled it, uh, spent a lot of money doing it up, put the prices up considerably, changed our marketplace. So we took away a lot of bedding. So it wasn't family oriented, it was for adults. And 
really focused on using the Great Eastern Drive wine drive and things like that. So, so we were looking at, at how we could get discerning travellers who are prepared to spend a little more money. So we started off at two nights was a minimum. Two night minimum. Okay. Two night minimum stay. That got rid of an awful lot of the market straight away. Yeah. And there was a lot of nail biting saying, oh dear, have we actually bitten off everything here? Are we going to get anybody? So the first couple of years, I've got to say, um, were profitable and successful, but nerve wracking as to the way that we'd made the right decision. And this isn't for everybody. Some mm-hmm. people are in different markets. But anyway, this last 12 months, it's gone from two. We actually started at exactly two. We, no one stayed much more than two. This year it's about three. Wow. The difference is $30,000 in wages yeah. the first year, seventeen this year. So what so have you done to, to encourage people to stay ah, for three well, nights? Well, well, we've done a number of things. One is on, on, the, on my website there is a 15% discount for three nights or more. There's a 20% discount for four nights or more. And that's made an enormous difference. People will see four nights. If I stay four nights, the rate per night comes down considerably. But on the fourth night for us, we don't change the linen. We haven't changed anything. They're still staying there. And all all of the fixed costs have been paid for easily. So the last day is a huge bonus. So we're seeing a number of people staying four, five, six, and sometimes we've had a couple for seven or eight nights. And they pick their property that they like to stay in one of the three, they pick it. And, and right now we're holding quite a bit for January and February of next year where people have already booked in their place for six and seven nights. You are in an enviable position. I don't imagine some of our listeners will necessarily be as lucky as that. There are plenty of regional places out there that, you know, aren't doing as well with their occupancy and, and struggle to keep people for longer periods of time. Yeah, maybe so. I, I, and I'm, I'm, not sure that, um, I'm not sure that this is this is the recipe for everybody either. I chose a particular market um, which I thought existed and it's rather like a triangle. The market at the top end of – the higher the price, the fewer the people there are in that market. So in my environment, Sapphire is $2,000 a night or something and that's a little bit down the road. And we're, we're you know, between two and $300 a night. But in Bishanoe, there's a whole lot of people – at 120, 130, 140 a night. So I decided not to compete with them. But there are very, very successful businesses at that rate. And they sometimes have a higher turnover than I do. They probably work harder at the business um, and because they have more turnovers. And their profits are really good. So equal, I mean, it's horses for courses. It depends where you want to be strated in the market as to to how you manage these things. So you're suggesting for accommodation properties to do a bit of an assessment of what's around them, make sure that they're pricing themselves. Completely. And also, are are you right for that market? So if you're in the family market, do you have bikes? Have you got uh, frisbees to throw around? Yeah. I mean, have you got all the bits and pieces that families want to play with? If it's a wet day, if you open the cupboard, are there thousands of puzzles that just fall out at you? Have you really decided that that's your market? Because if so, you'd better do it well because everyone else is at that market at the same time. 
So if you're a, if you're looking if you're in town and you're looking for the business commercial market, you know, do you have desks for people to work from? Have you got great Wi-Fi? Is it easy to manage? Um, do you have a, 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 an arrangement with a cafe soon so that next door? Sorry, not soon. Next door so that they can go and get their coffees easily. Is there a deal where they can go and get a free coffee? Whatever it might be. So, are you looking after the particular market that you are in? Because we're not just in accommodation. We are in something special and that's the way people make money is by being specialists. Yes, it's a big market, but what are they doing? What makes them special? And you're providing an experience as well as just a bed to sleep. Yeah, nobody's buying my pillows. <laughs> yeah, because pillows are the same everywhere, sheets are the same everywhere, everybody gets their laundry done in the same laundry. Yeah. Exactly. So we have to be different, don't we, Sam? We cannot be the same people. So understanding your target market, I'm hearing you say, Understanding is key. the target market and making sure your product fits that. Yes. Now, I'm not a marketer. I'm not great at all this marketing at the moment. I mean, it's way above my, my IQ level. <laughs> <laughs> but what I do know is what I am providing the customer when they get there. You mentioned it before. It's about delivering the experience. So in our the little things that we do, we make sure that there is a torch – which I've used my partner's nail polish on the top of it to get, so that it's red <laughs> and so that when you point it at the penguins, it doesn't disturb the penguins. So there is a special penguin viewing torch and it's, uh, it's plugged in. It's a, you know, rechargeable chap. We make sure there's a bottle of East Coast wine in the fridge, not just a bottle of wine, East Coast, because it comes up and down the road. So there are lots of little things that you do which are particularly local to you to build that experience. And meets the needs of your target market too. So there's certainly a lot of expectations at each you know level of, say for instance, price. If you're looking at price, yes. if you're paying bottom dollar, you have low expectations. If you're paying top dollar, you have higher expectations. And you can't of, just price the way you want to price. You've actually no, got to deliver. Uh, you, you you must deliver. And this is about dynamic pricing because um, the di- the dynamics of the market is such that you. You used to be able to have a high season price and a low season price. With the advent of all of the different online travel agents and the speed with which the market changes, you can price a product tonight differently from tomorrow and differently from the next day. There are rate intelligence reports that come from online travel agents that says what they're holding in your vicinity for the next five days. So you can say, oh, there's only a 60% occupancy rate, let's say Bishnay, my place, um, next Thursday, which means everybody will be vying for those mm-hmm. those small number of people that are coming because there's not a great demand next Thursday. Don't know why, but there isn't. So that means you might wish to compete or you just bail out. You say, oh, I will have a day off. You can do that quite too. But if you wanted to compete... You don't want to be disappointed on the Friday saying, geez, I didn't sell any rooms. Well, no wonder, mate, because you were well above the price range. So dynamic pricing is not necessarily reducing your price. It's making sure you match the market all the time. So you are lower in the winter. You are higher in the season. You find that you're much better off at long weekends to put a three-day minimum in and sell your product at a premium price and you don't have to service it over the weekends. There's a number of things you do in this dynamic pricing. You cannot be stayed. 
You cannot be, you cannot set your pricing and say, oh, that's it, we'll retire now. That's it, we've done it for the year. I'm sorry, it goes on every day. Every day. So is that how often you suggest that operators should be looking at their pricing and potentially adjusting accordingly? I look at my prices at least weekly. It would be at least at least twice a week and every fortnight I look at the next three months. So every fortnight I press a button which says, what am I holding for, for July, August, September? And I can tell you right now, July is looking terrific, August is dreadful and what did I do yesterday? I dropped my prices for one of the products that I've got all the way through August because August is not filling. So I've got to be looking at, I've got to be doing that, yeah. So aside from dropping your prices in low periods, which is often in winter, but not always. Um, aside from dropping prices, what else can you do to, to try to get people during those quiet periods? Is there anything else you do? Um, yes, I do. Uh, I use what's called, well, we go back to those words earlier, the ambassadors. Um, what I do, Sam, is I write to all my friends and family and I say, look, we really want you to come and talk about what we've got up here, and it's much better that it's used than sitting there growing cobwebs and getting cold and miserable. So why don't you come up as an ambassador? And on the basis that you promise to talk about it favourably for the next six years, um, we're happy to do a very good deal for you. <laughs> and so it's almost like a staff rate or a family rate. So I go through my contacts list, and now you will know exactly how popular I am because I know at least 30 people, so it might be 40 <laughs> or 60 or however many it was. Anyway, I went through my contact list and I sent everybody an email and two people rang me straight away saying, it's so cheap up there on this rate, David, that we've decided to take the whole of the winter up there because it's cheaper than us living at home. And I said, no, yeah, the maximum nights are three. So. <laughs> But we had a bit of fun with that. Nice try. <laughs> but um, nice try. <laughs> but it's just a question of, 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 of making sure it turns over and making sure we get ambassadors. And that has worked brilliantly because, yes, they do come in the winter, they do come and talk about it, but then they recommend to their friends. And we've just been filling up July because of that very reason. It's been good. Good Recommendations, idea. word of mouth, huge opportunities, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So do they? Do and your friends review you on, on official review sites? I Only if it's a nice review, Sam. I, <laughs> when, you've, when you've begged, borrowed and stolen your review people like I do, sometimes, uh, no, no, of course they can if they wish, and we do get a few. Um, the other point I was going to raise was that um, we uh, do a lot around local events, in the wintertime, and luckily we have the Festival of Voices very soon. So we have been uh, emailing our previous clients from last year, talking to them, Festival of Voices coming up, have you booked these shows, are you going to come and stay with us, et cetera, et cetera. So there, are, there are a number of other things you can look locally towards about making sure that your property is busy in the off-season. Absolutely. Hmm. Um, okay, so let's talk about distribution and selling your, what we call inventory, but selling rooms, selling beds. There's a multitude of ways people can book these days. And so the distribution channel is something you know a lot about. Uh, a lot of accommodation businesses have lots of conversations about commissions. Can you please talk us through how accommodation businesses can get booked, how they tap into these distribution channels or is it better just to get direct bookings and don't worry about all those other guys? Um, as I said, but utopia is <laughs> having all repeat guests that book direct with you. That never will occur. 
Sam, it's really important that you are flexible about how you you offer your property to your customer. So there are a whole range of different ways that the customer can find you. And the debate with anybody owning accommodation is which of those particular channels, as we call them, suit you and which don't suit you? Which ones can you afford and which ones can't you afford? Now, when I say afford, sometimes you can't afford not to have them as well as affording to have them. So before you open your life to the world through your accommodation business, you really ought to be able to manage that very well. If you don't have a pretty smart front desk system, you're going to run in a bit of trouble because trying to manage your property manually out of a diary or a book or whatever else and you have you want to employ the dynamic pricing principle and you want to get involved on in the world stage with someone like booking.com or Expedia or you want to do you know abstay or whatever it's called Airbnb you're going to have an awful lot of trouble mm-hmm. because you're going to have a pencil and a pen and a and a rubber and a, and a, and you're going to and taking phone calls you're going to say, oh, and double book and you know the, the dog be, gets hold of the diary and you go oh, and- what happens if your granddaughter gets hold of the diary and oh. you know it's all over so um, there are a myriad of front desk systems available. Um, I can only speak about one that I use um, and it's a proprietary thing called Little Hotelier, but there are lots. There's even some called Channel, Channel Manager, which was developed in Richmond and Tasmania. So there are, again, horses for courses, but I would really urge anybody that wants to get involved in this business on a the way I do that makes it – and if, if it's your hobby, it doesn't matter. But if you've got to live off it, then you need to be as professional as you can. Absolutely. I would really urge – anybody to have a front office, front desk system. So anyone listening today that still uses the uh, diary and pen and pencil rubber system? Uh, and Go is and make a cup of tea because yeah. the rest of it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> come well, come would... back in quarter of an hour. <laughs> I definitely encourage those listeners to keep listening. Um, but what, <laughs> what's, what's holding people back from having online booking? No idea. I, I don't know. There's only a few. Yeah. But, but – um, It's pretty easy to implement online booking on your website, isn't it? It is. It is. It's not hard. If I can do it, anybody can do it because I've done it. Yeah. So if you've got an online booking... I inherited a diary. (laughs) I did. I inherited it. And and thousands upon thousands of dollars worth of deposits, which I had to reconcile in my tiny brain. We put it all that into so the. It sounds so time consuming. It took eight days. We put it. Shh, don't, don't tell everyone. We did, we we did, put it all into a front desk system, and now, you know, I feel really um, empowered. It is an empowering thing to be able to press buttons, see what the future holds, see what you did last year, compare your length of stay, compare this, compare that. I mean, you can spend too much time analysing, but you do need to analyse. So the stats are essential and and amazing. But also, aren't a lot of these uh, online booking systems something that come with like an app that can be on your phone? So you can be in Hawaii having a holiday and know exactly what's going on in your hotel or accommodation property. They do. Without having to take your diary with you. They certainly do. And you can make reservations from that app. Um, You can check, you can do all sorts of things. You can block rooms out if you've got a burst water main and and so stop people buying it. You could do all, yeah, it's got 
got the complete functionality of your front def- front office system, but it's in your hand. Yeah, it's very clever. And so once you've got an online booking system, yes. that then opens up a whole new world a of new OTAs. World of OTAs. What's that stand for? Online travel agents. Okay. So this is where people get freaked out. Yes. Let's debunk some myths here. Debunk why are they some so myths. bad? Why do people f- don't? Why? What's with the commission? Uh, okay. Issue. Um, if I wanted to sell uh, a room um, to someone who lived in outer Melbourne, I would probably need to go and get on a flight, go and see them. Sorry, get on a flight, go to Melbourne, get a little kitty car and put a poster up in their local grocery store or put an ad in their local paper or knock on their door or a and say, excuse box, yeah. me, would you like to come and stay? <laughs> and if so, please give me a call. My name's David. Here's my number. Well, that's probably not practical. So what happened was we used to be able to talk to a travel agent who would undertake virtually do that for you. They would be living in Melbourne and talking to these people and the clients would go to the travel agent, where you want to go now, want to go to Tasmania, I recommend you do this, 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 and then make the bookings. Well, all that's disappeared. So online travel agent is simply a travel agent, but they don't have a desk anymore. That's all they do. So we used to pay the travel agents 10 or 15%. We pay online travel agents between 10 and 15%. Nothing's changed. Mm -hmm. It's just that the transaction is done digitally rather than uh, face-to-face. So the biggest online travel agent in the world is Booking.com. The second biggest is Expedia. And Expedia constantly tries to buy others. So it bought What If and it's bought a whole range of other online travel agents and aggregated them. And each they have different markets for different places. Agoda, for example, is particularly well used and trusted and liked in Asia. So that is a has a big profile in Asia. So if one is seeking um, a, a footprint in the Asian market, you might uh, you might use Agoda as your travel agent. So on that, just sorry yes. to interrupt. Um, if Expedia Please. own all these OTAs, sites, yes. do I talk to Expedia or do I talk to those individual? You can do either, but you you will end up talking with Expedia. You will end up at Expedia. So if I get on with Expedia, then I'm listed in a bunch of other places I didn't even know I was listed in. Indeed, indeed, indeed. And sometimes you get get a booking and you think, I don't know where that came from because that that came from someone called Yougal or something. You think, (laughs) where's that? But it's owned by Expedia. Exactly, exactly. You don't know these things. So the the, – the, the top 15, I had a note the other day, the top 15 out of the top three, Booking.com is the biggest, second is the Expedia, and the, the third biggest, uh, um, no, I haven't got it here, I'm sorry. I was going to say the third biggest um, is, um, is Airbnb, but Airbnb is a different system. So that, you've got to be very careful that your front desk system, if you want to be on Airbnb and on Booking.com or other travel agents, other platforms, then you have to have a, a front desk system that manages you can talk both. To both. Otherwise, yes. you'll get this double booking issue, will, which is again, a nightmare. You'll go straight back to the diary of, oh dear, I've got to manually input one or the other. Yeah. So I wonder if I've explained Booking.com properly or Expedia properly. I think I have. It, they're just, they are monoliths, they are international companies, but you do have, um, in, when you get into trouble, there is a, um, a, a 
bloke called, oh, it doesn't matter what their names are, but there's a person in Tasmania from Expedia that you can find. Greg Freeman. Thank you. Podcast number four, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Podcast number four. Okay, there is a good team from Booking.com in Melbourne and they come down to Hobart once a year and you can actually meet people and talk to them. Um, and you have a so, – so there is a good help, very good help, um, and and I don't believe in today's world you can probably live without them. Yeah. I, I think because most of the – most of our customers – and we've got to be customer-focused. What does a customer do? They f- – I found out a few years ago they first will look at a region and they'll say – it might, and Tasmania is called a region. Yeah. I mean, we're tiny. Yeah. They will look up Tasmania. The next thing they will look up is, I want to do stuff. I've heard about Cradle. I've heard Wineglass. I've heard Salamanca. I've heard Mona. So they'll look those things up. Yep. And then they'll find out that they're a little bit disjointed. They're not in the same place. So then they will look up where they are. And then the beginnings of an itinerary might form... The next thing they look up is TripAdvisor or where should I stay in those places? Pretty much. Yeah. And it's extraordinary. Yep. Then they might jump onto your website. And yeah, but they're never going to find your website first when no. they're at that point. No. If you did a, a search for any small business in anywhere, even in the big cities, you are going to be completely usurped by Booking.com, Expedia. You're going to get a whole page of that before your website's going to get even near the customer. I have one apartment in the tourism industry in Sandy Bay, where I live, Sam, and we're on page 42. <laughs> really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. See? Point proven. <laughs> so 42 that, pages in, you'll find apartment on King in well, Sandy Bay. We are not here as paid advocates of booking.com or Expedia. <laughs> no. Please let's make that clear. We're but not. the point is, if you want to play in this game of tourism, there are certain ways to do it these days. And if you are going to keep the OTAs at arm's length and try to do it yourself, you might struggle. I think you're, I think you're going to be pushing the water out a little bit. Yes, it's very difficult to do that. Um, that, that, that it's, it's like the way of the world, uh, sadly, um, or, or it doesn't need to be sadly, um, pleasantly. That's the way people are booking. So you, if you want to be part of that, it's like fishing in a stream. Um, if that's where the fish are, you've got to go and put your bait in the same place. So if everybody's swimming down there, well, we'd better go and find our fishing spot where all the fish are. So if if they're using Booking.com, let's get into that's there. That's an excellent analogy, actually. If they're using Expedia, let's drop into Expedia too, because otherwise the fish just go past you. And people aren't silly. Um, I know that people look at Booking.com and Expedia to see what's out there and what's around if they like the look of it. I know that I go to find the actual property's website and look what they say about themselves and what price they're offering on their own website. Yes. And if the prices match um, and I could book online with direct with the property, I do that. I Uh, think you're very kind. Most people go back to booking.com because I found Why is that? Because they trust it because they've been doing it for the last four years. Because everything, everywhere they go, they've got one form. It's called booking.com. So when they arrive at the place, you can see them. They've got the same form. They've printed it out and they've got, they've got all of the rest of them where they're going to stay for the next five nights. It's all there. So excuses I've heard from accommodation properties as to why they don't want to get involved with Expedia and Booking.com is because they, have, they feel like they have no control over their listing and that they're getting the wrong customer type. Um, they, they're finding customers are arriving and they're, they're 
they're not meeting their expectations. So how can they avoid that? Okay, there's a number of things about that. I, I agree that there is some um, um, curating of your words when you get to booking.com. So you put in 100 words of the description of your property and it may not be your 100 words, so you go back to them. You don't have to accept. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're not the victim in this thing. So if it doesn't reflect you, say so. Do something about it. <laughs> so, excuse me, that's not what I wrote. Yeah. I didn't yeah. say it was all green. I said it was in green pastures. So I'm not a green hotel. You've got to be able to tell them you've got this wrong. So they've so, got copywriters that look at your words and yes, think that they can do a better job th- than you. they curate it. Yeah. It's really weird. You send this stuff off and it comes back differently. You think, <laughs> goodness me, that's a bit odd. Sometimes it enhances it considerably, <laughs> as in my case. Um, but but uh, similarly, your pictures. If you have the wrong headline image, ring them up. Yeah. And say, I need – or go back to the help desk and say, excuse me, you've got – I've uploaded 20 images – and the wrong one is my my front headline. I, I want this one. You can do that. So, so I, I don't believe, um, in my experience, uh, Sam, I don't believe that it is um, too difficult to, to manage your own personality and, and presence mm-hmm. on these big sites. But, yes, they are global and they are big. They have rules and... You can imagine, you know, when there are no shows, when you've got to work out all of these things. Occasionally you get burnt and you think the so-and-so's and you get angry. And then when you go back through it, nine times out of ten, it's always been my fault, hasn't been theirs. So it's really, it's, it's really an interesting relationship. Do you ever but look... I, can I, I just... Uh, yeah, yeah. Can I also say that commission is a really interesting question. Oh, yes, sorry, I forgot to go back to that. No, I just wanted to suggest that that is, needs to be built into your pricing module. If you think it is a cost of doing business, you are dead right. It is a cost of doing business, but it's just the same as the cost of cleaning. So someone coming into your property is, as soon as there is a flag full, someone makes a booking. You know you know that they're going to use a soap and a towel and a this. It's called the variable costs. Before they turned up, it didn't cost anything because no one was using the soap and the towel and the bits. And the, so there is a variable cost. This is exactly the same as commission. You don't pay anything. Unless it's successful, if it's if you've got a transaction, that's fine. It's not like spending two thousand dollars on marketing and saying, "Oh, crikey, I hope someone work. books." Yeah, <laughs> you don't pay anything until someone books, and then they they send you a bill. Twenty days in the month after the person stayed. Yeah, and it's a known mm. cost, so it shouldn't be any Absolutely. surprises and you, for you, anybody. You, you, you build it in. Yeah. I mean, I build in. Um, if I put, if I'm doing a model for my business, I say, listen, I'm going to spend uh, my 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 room rate's going to be two hundred dollars. So right, okay, well that's not actually two hundred because the government will take ten off, so that's one hundred and ninety for GST, and I've got to take another ten off, so it's one hundred and eighty. So you end up saying my room my rack rate published rate is two hundred dollars, but you actually know it's going to be one hundred and eighty across yep. all of the different places, and remember. If you wander down to your local travel centre, they'll nip you 15, not 10 or 11. They're very healthy on their commissions. They're they're ready to rip your arms and legs off down there and I'm happy to use them. I'm not being rude about the visitor centres at all. But again, if you want to play in their space, you know what the game is. You expect expect it and it's it's built into your cost. So therefore, I, I build into my cost 10%. For commissions, because I know that um, on average, uh, I've got a lot of people that come direct, yep. a lot of people are direct, uh, uh, sorry, repeats, 
Um, and I've got a whole bucket of people who are coming through these distributions, which cost me dollars. That's all right. And are we allowed to talk about the actual rate? Like what's what's an OTA charging these days for their commission? Is it 25%? 11. 11? Is that mm. all? Mm. Oh, there you Booking. go. Booking.com is about 11, 11.5, something like that. Yeah. Oh, that's good. That's actually very... If you want to get into the international market, it might cost you a bit more. Okay. Um, so you're saying that with Expedia you can choose? No. They're always the same. But in, in the inter- if you want to go through an international um, travel agent rather than one of these multi, uh, multinational travel agents, you will find that in some markets they will charge more. Because there are multiple levels of... Multiple levels, yeah, okay. yes, indeed. So the agent sitting in Germany... Yes. ...books through the, the wholesaler in Germany who then books through the ITO in Australia who then books through... <laughs> Who then comes to you, and they've all ta- they've all taken their cut. I've along got the way. a travel agent that I use called Travel Essence out of um, Amsterdam. They specialise in Germany and Dutch holidaymakers. They are particularly targeted uh, to the product that I have, so they are of, of discerning couples. They don't have children or anything like that. It fits us perfectly. We get a lot of business out of them, and the whole lot is 20%. So it costs me dearly. But um, I know customer satisfaction. I, I know have to, they pay before they come. I never have to worry about the money. I'm not spending any money in Germany or Holland getting all these people here. And it's fantastic. It's good business for everybody. Works well. Excellent. Hmm. Um, okay. So where are we at with your list of things on your... Well, I can't remember. You're the moderator. I, I feel like we've had an awesome conversation and I'm, I'm kind of thinking the, the listeners are going to be able to take away lots of, uh, lots of things to think about with their business. Um, I guess the last thing I really wanted to talk about is what ways, what other ways have you got that you can optimise your accommodation property that we haven't already covered? Okay. I want to try and paint a picture that you become, Sam, the the best-known accommodation operator in your district because there are many ways that you can provide a profile, building your profile of your business or yourself within your community. And I believe there's a lot you can do in public relations. Um, The word for mill comes into the uh, lexicon a fair (laughs) bit and a number of people are... Um, reticent about taking for mills. Really? And they say, yeah. For, oh, yeah. For those no, no, who no. are why, reticent, why would clearly I, why, don't know what they are. Why would, I, why would I want to give away my room night to someone I've never heard of? I mean, just because he's a, a, a writer for something or other, I mean, that doesn't make any sense. So my view is a few things. My view is local public relations. I'm not talking about engaging a public relations firm. I'm talking about this is David at... at at Bishonet. So public relations is making sure you go places, making sure you you are seen, making sure you support local things. I'm making sure that if ever the visitor centre um, has some new staff, you give them the key to the property and say, go and have a look around when it's your uh, morning tea time. So you familiar, but you familiar locally as well as making sure that your regional tourism operator um, your RTO and your LTA and Tourism Tasmania are all aware that of your That was a lot product. of acronyms. 
Sorry. That was a lot of acronyms. Oh Can we break them down? Yes, certainly. Yep, go your, on. Okay. LTA. Your local tourism association. If you have got a local tourism association um, that operates in and around your place, we've got one. Well, no, no, we don't. Sorry. No, we don't. It's the Bishnai Community Development Association. It's not an LTA, yeah, not but anyway. Um, there is um, – if you've got a local tourism association, um, they're usually uh, – intimately involved with the local visitor centre. And um, I would highly recommend that, that, that you get involved with them somehow. Just by introducing yourself, making yourself welcome, um, making sure that they feel welcome in your property and hosting them occasionally. Take them down a morning tea, give them a scone, you know, whatever it might be. So just making sure that everybody's working together. Um, so this... The, what I'm saying about the local tourism association, then the the, the next organisation up the ladder is the RTO, which is the regional tourism organisation, of which there are four in Tasmania. So this is called networking. <laughs> you know, you've got to make sure that not not this not working that I do, the networking, which is about um, making sure that the RTO people um, know who you are, the regional tourism organisation, that you make sure that you've listed with them that any females that come up and down or around or you, close to you, please come in. Exactly. I'll give them a cup of tea and I'll show them the, the, the local whatever it might be and we've just put in a new swing and roundabout at the corner and I'd love you to see it. Come along and say good day. So I would love you to provide some free vouchers to the local auctions so that um, it's not, not the big heart foundation stuff where you get lost, but let's say it's the, you know, kids primary for school surf down or the road. primary school down the right. Mm. Make sure you are a good community member and that they all know about yep. you. So make sure, you know, you, this is the profile in your community that you can build. And it's not hard. Um, and I, I'm not saying you become the great largesse of the world and say, you know, you're very profitable, it's very busy and wonderful. It's not that stuff at all. It's genuinely being a good friend and a good member of your community to build your profile um, and make sure that your business is looked upon as something that the community is proud of. So they go around, they say, oh, Auntie M's coming next Thursday. Oh, she should stay down the road at so-and-so's place because they exactly. were just here yesterday. That's right. That's so a, get all that local... I local. love all that. That's probably a good place to wrap up our conversation today, David. Have you got anything else you'd like to add before I Are you, we, sign I off? could come back tomorrow. Yeah, right. <laughs> No, I don't. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, very happy to help anybody if they have any further questions, Sam. Um, and I think you mentioned earlier that I'm – did you mention on the introduction that I'm read consulting still? No, let's do that now. Well, I'm, I'm still consulting to the tourism industry and I have done for many, many years, Sam. If anybody wants to get hold of me, they can – get hold of me at david at readconsulting.com.au and I'd be happy to help. You're a kind man, David. Wealth of knowledge. And I'm sure you could help loads and loads of accommodation operators. What does it take? A, uh, some abalone and a bottle of wine? Oh, forget the abalone. <laughs> Just go straight to the wine. <laughs> thank you so much, thank you, David, for coming in today. And to the listener, thank you for listening today. I hope you got some value out of our conversation. Um, I think we've all learnt a lot about accommodation and how we could optimise our business, not just accommodation, but in general in tourism. Uh, so if you enjoyed today's show, tell your friends, tell your colleagues and get them to listen to the podcast too. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week with our next podcast. You've been listening to Talking Tourism, brought to you by Tourism Industry Council Tasmania. 
For show notes, other materials and episodes, head to tict.com.au. Be sure to come back every fortnight for a new instalment of Talking Tourism. Talking Tourism.